Welcome, everyone. My name is Brent Phil. I run the software group at Jeffries. I'm joined by Alex, uh, my partner who runs the gaming uh, segment for, for us. Uh, we want to welcome you uh, and bring in Tim uh, Stewart from Microsoft. Tim is the CFO uh, and uh, runs a lot of other things related to the gaming business inside uh, Microsoft. He's been there a short 18 years and six months, uh, and he has a phenomenal experience. We know the Masters is kicking off on ESPN on the other side of this. Um, so Tim is very confident we'll hold a, a higher court than uh, than Tiger Woods. Um, Tim, thanks for joining. Uh, we're we're obviously you know right at the launch here. Maybe just bring us up to speed on the strategy this cycle, what you're seeing so far. Uh, you won't take my 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 money right now. So everyone's asking when when are we actually going to be able to get these? <laughs> yeah, I wish I had some handouts for the uh, for the show here. No, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's it's a very unique time in gaming in general, as we know, you know, with the, with the pandemic going on and other things. Um, but also, as you look over the last four or five years, just a very big change in gaming. We think about subscriptions, we think about digital, we think about new consoles. Um, I love where we're at in terms of, of how we got here. So your point is exactly right. Um, two days ago, we launched um, Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S. Uh, you know, it's our biggest launch we've ever done uh, in terms of units and geographies and our foot, overall footprint and activations. Uh, so super excited about where we're at. And I love the price points and I love the SKU profile we've picked. You know, $499 at the top end for Xbox Series X, uh, you know, the world's most powerful console. And then we have Xbox Series S. You know, I like to call it the world's best value in gaming. Um, you know, really to bring forward a lot of those uh, purchasers that would normally wait for price points to come down, uh, you know, we feel like we want to remove some of that friction, bring forward a lot of those users, bring forward a lot of those people that would come late in the generation, and uh, maybe that contributes a little bit to your inability to find a console now. Um, but really, out of the gate, launch with the right price point, the right power profile, and the right content offerings that differentiate us. So uh, I like where we're at. I like the launch in. I love how it sets up, and we can talk about this later. I love how it sets up Game Pass and game streaming and really kind of starting where our strategy will go for Microsoft in the future. Many ask, what what makes this round different? Uh, you are a lover of golf, it seems like. You're going into this round versus the last round. What What is what is different about this round that you, you tried to work on going, going into this? Yeah, you know, we always look for uh, – technological shifts to launch new consoles. Um, and when you look at these consoles, it's things like fast load times. You know, I, I've got, I have my Xbox Series S right here next to my PC. I won't play it right now. Um, but when you think about getting into games almost instantaneously, when you think about ray tracing, you think about RDNA, you think about running a game at 120 frames a second and 4K, um, it's the technology around these boxes that really is magical. Uh, and it unleashes really uh, creatives and content creators to really reach new things we haven't seen before, um, you know, in terms of fidelity, in terms of how things look and how things play, number of players you can put on a screen, number of things you can load uh, much quicker. So, A, I love the technology that we're, we're, we're ushering in. B, it's the, it's the experiences. It's things like, you know, we have Xbox All Access, which is uh, the ability for us to combine Game Pass plus a hardware purchase into a $24.99 a month to $34.99 a month subscription. So you can get hardware plus services together, which is something unlike we haven't had in the past. And so now we can sell through new distribution. 
We can sell through Telstra in Australia. We can sell through uh, mobile operators here in the U.S. Uh, so I love that pricing differentiation. And then lastly is Game Pass, something we haven't had in the, in the past. Uh, with Game Pass, you can get in for, you know, $9.99 a month. And if you're a new-to-console player, uh, you can get hundreds of great games out of the gate um, with a console that you purchase, uh, which is something we haven't had in the past. So the ability for someone to get into a console to play games that you look amazing and have never been seen like this before and have access to a ca content catalog that is, uh, you know, bigger than we've ever had, uh, I think is going to be kind of a one, two, three punch of why this console is going to be very different than the past. There's obviously incredible demand. You know, you had a uh, sold out of, of all the pre-orders, and I think everyone's kind of asking how, how you think about the, the ongoing uh, supply that you can bring to the market. Can you can you just give us a high level? I know you're not going to give specifics, but just high level how you're meeting this incredible demand uh, from, from your side. Yeah, uh, it's something we look at uh, all the time. Uh, you know, you wish you had supply to meet the, meet the huge demand. I think, um, you know, what we've seen over the last generation and then heading into now is, and part of this demand profile is, frankly, gaming is just exploding. It's a $200 billion a year industry. And so, you know, kids, adults, you know, male, female, young, old, whatever it is, uh, are playing uh, playing games. And so that, that drives that demand profile, which we love to see. Um, from a supply perspective, you're absolutely right. For Kintu, you know, we gave guidance uh, in our last earnings call of, uh, a zone that we'll be in and we'll frankly be within that zone because we know the supply uh, profile that we're having. I think we'll continue to see supply shortages as we head into uh, the post-holiday quarter, so Microsoft's Q3, calendar Q1. Um, and then when we get to Q4, you know, I'll have our supply chain continuing to go, you know, full speed uh, heading into kind of the pre-summer months. And that's when I, I start to, I expect to see a little bit of the demand of the supply profile meeting the demand profile. You'll be outside of a holiday window. We'll have uh, supply cranking, you know, over the next, uh, what, four or five, six months. And that's when I expect to see really that demand uh, profile start to be met, um, which will be, which will be really, really great. And really what that's going to do is, you know, once we get into that world of uh, a great high end, called a great high powered console, plus that lower end skew for value, I think we're going to start to see some real velocity kick up, which, uh, which I'm really excited to see. You've got a lot of help uh, with the, the rest of Microsoft. Um, when you think about the impact that Azure and the rest of the, the stack is giving you, one, one of the questions we continue to get is the impact of the cloud and yeah. how the cloud is going to play into the future of gaming and in, in, in what your parent uh, is doing to, to, to enable you to get to where you want. Can you just talk about where we're at, you know, today with the cloud and where do you think we're at, you know, three to five years out, how impactful is, is cloud gaming going to be? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, so number one, on the, I'll say on the, on the Microsoft side, having an Azure cloud, having a first party cloud is going to give us something that's uniquely differentiated versus anybody else in the space. And the combination of our content pipeline plus game paths, plus the cloud, which gives us the ability to stream games to, I'll say, any endpoint that can take a, that can take a, you know, a signal, um, is going to be massively differentiated versus others in the industry. So I love that perspective, and I love having kind of that, that Microsoft 
uh, drive with our geo geographic footprint with Azure. So I think point one is going to be that's going to be so great. Azure also gives us the ability to reach something like 80% of the gamers in the world will be within an Azure uh, served zone. It allows us to go into you know Africa's and India's and stream games into places that are not console first and maybe not even PC first, but they're for sure mobile first. And that's going to be a very, very unique place to be, um, which Microsoft gives us the ability to go do. I'll say, in addition to that, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of jump your, jump your question a little bit. It's 5G. 5G combined with Azure in those regions will be a huge, uh, a huge uh, bonus for us, which is we can now hit those markets with low latency gaming with compute that's happening pretty close to those gamers with that, with that Azure data center. Uh, and that will usher in new distribution models. Uh, but more importantly, it'll give us that ability to go drive um, uh, a mobile-first customer or a mobile mobile kind of main customer. If you think about console market being two or three hundred million players, the PC market's two or three hundred million players. That mobile market is billions plus. And Brent, to your question, you know how how is a, how important is that audience? I think Microsoft scale. Uh, our ability to go from, you know, we're 15 million Game Pass subscribers today to 25 million, 50 million, 100 million is going to require that mobile audience to be uh, achieved by us. And that's where we're going to have to have a content pipeline that supports that amount of users. But to your question, um, having that, that cloud streaming ability will be needed to go reach uh, customers at that scale for sure. Another question just around, um, you know, kind of the, the content, and, and you, your, your division got the largest acquisition of the year, uh, $7.5 billion, uh, obviously a, a key component. Can you just talk to us about what's happening in the content industry and, and what, what you think is happening? Some of the larger players have, have said they're going to they're raise prices. Um, any, any thought around, uh, you know, just content and then, the ability to, to actually raise prices given given uh, all the dynamics that, that seem right for that type of backdrop to do that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, from a content perspective, it's a great time to be a content owner, for sure. Uh, and you can look at valuations as one example of these, of these companies. But more importantly, it's the uh, two things are happening. Number one is gaming has never seen this many players as it, as it does today. So just from an engagement standpoint, um, it's a great place to be. Number two is, you know, I, I like to say the, in the old days, which ends up being like three years ago, but in the old days, it was, you know, us and Sony or Nintendo walking into these content creators and talking about deals or, you know, future content pipeline. And now you're in a world with, you know, Google and Facebook and Amazon and Tencent, Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft. You're in a world where there's much more demand for content pipeline, uh, and which, which from a, I'll say from a publisher perspective is great when you think about the economics that they can drive. And that's not a point about economics on our side, but it's just the ability for us to them, for them to go chase uh, high demand from, from platform owners. From a consumer standpoint, you know, if you're a game creator, uh, you know, games are getting more expensive to create. You know, they're driving revenue growth as well. And they're looking for opportunities to go create more monetization for uh, the support of that content creation. And that's when you see a little bit of the, of the game pricing going up. So, you know, your example is $60 going to $70 on some games. Um, but also when we think about Game Pass on our side, um, it's another outlet for, for content creators to go find new users, uh, to find a way to monetize those users that may not have played their games. So the example I give here is um, if you're Grand Theft Auto, which has been in Game Pass. Uh, 
um, you know, you sell the game for 60 bucks. There are users that wouldn't have paid 60 bucks for that game. But now that it's in Game Pass, they are finding new users that otherwise wouldn't have played that game. And these games are excellent at monetization, post-sale monetization, right? They're selling maps and skins and weapons and, you know, missions and things like that. Uh, they have the ability to find new users. They have the ability to find uh, great monetization models for those new users. And that's driving revenue upside for them as well. So they're expanding their sort of top of funnel through, through Game Pass offerings. But Brent, to your point exactly, I think that they're seeing high demand, high engagement, uh, content is, you know, such a such a cornerstone of what gaming is, right? We all want to play the games. Um, and they're finding unique opportunities to either raise price or find monetization opportunities as well. Um, you know, the, the kind of the side joke I'll give is the last time there was a price increase was, what, seven or eight years ago or something. So time value of money says, says it's about time anyway. Uh, but that's that's kind of the side point. That's great. Um I guess last question for you, and I'll turn it over to Alex. Um, I, I, you know, just at a high level, what, what, what is, from your perspective, living on the inside? You know, what, what are the th- things that you see and feel that we can't feel? Like, what is, what is kind of the most exciting thing from your perspective um, that you would bring? We, we get to watch a lot of these great companies like yourself, um, but we really don't get a sense of what it's like to be, you know, at the 12th hole at Augusta, if you will. What What's yeah. it like? What, what are you most excited about? And then I'll turn to Alex. Yeah, I think um, the thing that I'm most excited about, from a, I'll say from a micro, from an Xbox or Microsoft landscape, is our ability to have an offering that can that can move off console to chase new customers. Um, you know, in the past where we had just the console land, the console space, um, again, you're kind of locked into that console market, if you will. Game streaming and ability to serve up a AAA quality game to an Android device, to a PC without a GPU, to a smart screen um, is going to be, I think, a, an unlock for gamers, unlike what we've seen in the past. The ability for uh, a user who wasn't going to buy a console can now participate in the, the AAA console quality game market. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really unique experience. It's going to create a lot of new gamers, too, that, that may have been used to playing Candy Crush or something on their phone. They can now play AAA quality games on their device with a controller just down to it or, or whatnot. So I think from the inside, I see usage um, happening through our, through our game streaming. Uh, just, you know, we've, only, we've only just launched it effectively. Uh, but I see users playing more, buying more, uh, playing on the go. And I think that's going to be a, an awesome experience that uh, will unlock a lot for Microsoft and for our Game Pass subscriber base. Great job, Tim. Uh, good luck with the rest of this, and uh, thanks for your time. I'll turn it to uh, the better half of the, the presentation with Alex. <laughs> Great. Yeah, thanks, Brent, and thanks again, Tim, for, for joining. Um, sure. and, for the, and for the folks on the line, if, if you do have a question for Tim, you could – and you can ask it directly through the, uh, the Zoom portal, and we'll make sure to get it to get it relayed. But Tim, I want to go back to um, your comments on on Game Pass, right? It, you're, you keep expanding the amount of games in the bundle. You know, you have this partnership with um, with EA Play now. So just curious if, if you're seeing a larger opportunity on on the subscription side now than than you've had in the past, and you know the the process is to, to lean into that. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, Game Pass is our is our North Star strategy. It's the how do you get customers in a subscription model 
then how do you have a content pipeline that supports uh, all the games that they want to play? And of course, we love supporting uh, games outside of Game Pass as well. Like that's the that's still the you know the Xbox business model. Um, but we see a unique opportunity here. You know, you you probably like me have five or six you know consumer subscriptions, whether it's Hulu or Netflix or Spotify or whatever it is. Um, and we see that to be a world now where consumers are used to and more than happy to pay and play in those kind of examples. So unlike the past decade, I think we see a, a world where consumers are ready to go down that business model approach. You know, we, I don't think we, we were in a world 10 years ago to really see that. So I think that's, number one, uniquely, uniquely important about the time that we live in. Number two is the partnership that we have with our partners across the industry, um, inclusive of EA Play. I love EA Play coming into Game Pass, uh, and users get it for free. They get to be able to participate in EA Play as we build out our content pipeline. Um, and this is going to be a little bit of a bridge to the acquisition that um, with Bethesda, but my point here is we will need to have a content pipeline that supports future success states. You know, if, if Netflix, uh, you know, of course they assume success at Netflix, but, you know, if they look at content pricing or content pipeline today, you know, should or could or would they have been more acquisitive on the first-party side to bring content in sooner from a, from a first-party landscape? But as we see success growing in Game Pass, uh, we're going to need to have a content pipeline, both through a rent, you know, we'll partner with partners in the industry, and through a buy. We'll need to have first-party content that we can launch day and date, you know, not unlike Orange is the New Black or Stranger Things and House of Cards, you know, boom, boom, boom. We want to have that from our first-party landscape as well. So that's one of the places that we're being a little bit more uh, active in, as you've seen with Bethesda and some of the acquisitions we've done in the last couple of years. Yeah, and then how do you balance that, you know, that mix, right? So on the first-party publishing side, you have a lot of fantastic content. Obviously, mm -hmm. Halo, everyone is, you know, highly anticipating that launch next year. You've been doing acquisitions. Um, but then you also, you know, you're, you're also a distribution platform for the third-party publishers out there. So, so kind of how do you, you know, balance the mix between priorities and, and the shift with that dynamic? Yeah, that's a great question. Something we balance a lot because, you know, as a platform, and this is Microsoft's DNA as well, uh, for us to be successful, our partners have to be successful. And so we want to be in a world where something like Game Pass can live alongside uh, standalone games or live alongside if customers want to buy a 60 or $70 game and they have post-sale monetization, that's great. We want our partners to be successful on the platform. And so that's something we think about a lot, you know, in our, in our conversations uh, in the industry is, do you find more consumers in a Game Pass type example? And if so, and you can monetize those users better through a, through a deal specifically with us, um, maybe that's the right windowing opportunity. You have a 60 or $70 launch, uh, and then you window into Game Pass to go hit another revenue stream uh, down downstream. Um, or for first party, you know, we want to have first party content be a driver of why people want to subscribe to Game Pass. Uh, and again, if I can get someone into a $9.99 a month or $14.99 a month subscription, and first party content is the the reason they did that, uh, I can monetize the consumer. Uh, a lot higher. The economics, I should say the economics are better if, we're on, if they're on a subscription for a long term as opposed to maybe buying a game once a year or otherwise. Uh, and that we share, you know, that revenue. Not, I'm not making a point about business model here or, or our deals, but, you know, Game Pass creates a revenue stream for which we can go create a content pipeline uh, through deals or otherwise uh, through our content creators. But I think the, the specific answer to your question is 
We need the Activisions, the Ubisofts, the EAs, the Take Twos, the Epics, uh, you know, all the way down to indie creators uh, to be successful on the platform. So we want Game Pass to be net additive to them. And if they choose, you know, not to be in Game Pass, we want to create a platform that finds the maximum number of users that can spend the maximum number of dollars for them. And uh, we want Activision, EA, Take-Two, Ubi to be highly successful on the platform, uh, regardless of the direction they choose to go. And even before the, the Bethesda acquisition, you know, you had been acquiring a handful of, of smaller, you know, independent studios. Yeah. I'm just curious, you know, are, are you still looking at more studios? What do you look for when, um, you know, when you, when you approach these teams? And just what's the, you know, the overall maybe M&A priority right now? Yeah, I think the, the short answer to still looking is we will continue to be acquisitive. You know, we'll continue to look around the industry to find uh, who has the great IP, who are great leaders, who has great product development, who can we, you know, rely on to say, you know, we need a AAA game launching in FY24 Q1 for Game Pass. You know, let's line that, let's line the roadmap up to go land that, land that perspective. Um, so we'll continue to look. You know, in the past, you know, Bethesda was a little bit of a, uh, a different lens to what we've done in the past, you know, whether it's uh, Ninja Theory or Obsidian or Inexile, some of the smaller studios that had great IP. Bethesda gave us a great uh, sort of launch with, uh, I'll say launch into a, a big, uh, let's call it group of content, a big catalog of content that we could use for Game Pass. And we said this before the announcement, you know, when we think about Bethesda, it's going to be to continuing to allow, uh, I'll say allow, but continue to sell their their games on the platforms that uh, you know they exist today, and we'll determine what that looks over time. Uh, it'll you know, and it'll change over time. Uh, I'm not making ex- announcements about exclusivity or something like that, but you know that'll that model will change. But really, it's about how do you take that content and put it into a, a service like Game Pass to drive that subscription of the North Star metric. So I think the long end, the short answer to your question is we'll continue to look at content. We will continue to look at bolstering our first-party studios. And, you know, as always, if the right value is there with the right content creators, with the right IP, um, you know, we'll continue to look at uh, opportunities like that. Helpful. And then we touched on this earlier, but with the news that that some of the the third-party publishers, you know, are going to be raising pricing on their their AAA titles, maybe all titles, you know, does Microsoft follow suit in terms of your first-party published content? how do you think about pricing compared to, you know, where it was? I think the last time, you know, prices went up was actually two console refreshes ago. Yeah. yeah. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're not making specific announcements on first-party pricing uh, yet, so we'll do that uh, sort of in due time. Um, but, again, if I think if, if uh, publishers can find uh, a price point that works for their, uh, their audience, that finds a price point that works for the maximization of, I'll say, users and revenue, because you want to drive engagement. Um, you know, I talk about engagement equals currency a lot. Uh, engagement is the ability for you to drive uh, post-sale monetization, to drive, um, you know, activation of your content, to drive uh, sort of hours in your service. Because these games are becoming, as we all know, they're becoming ecosystems under their own or unto their own. You know, Call of Duty wants to keep a Call of Duty player and monetize them down the road. FIFA wants to keep a FIFA player in their ecosystem and monetize down the road. Uh, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, we'll look at publishers to make the right decisions for their for their content. If they can uh, drive a premium price point or a higher price point, I think that's, uh, I think that's warranted. Um, and I'd say your point's exactly right. 
you know, prices have not gone up uh, in generate, you know, for what, a couple of generations now. So it's not, not unheard of to see things like this going on. And to the point earlier, you know, content creation costs go up. And, you know, these publishers and content creators, including ourselves, uh, want to make sure you're driving uh, the right gross margin profiles, the right earnings profiles of what it takes to build these new, awesome, amazing games. Um, and you want to make sure you have a good top line to support that. Right. And, and one, of the, one of the questions we're, we're getting from the audience is, do you think that the future of video games will be 100% cloud gaming? And, you know, obviously you just released a piece of hardware, so that's certainly right. the near-term focus. But, you know, is there a time frame or a specific amount of, you know, years in which you think cloud gaming can, can really become mainstream? And, you know, maybe what are the limitations right now that, that's preventing that? I, you know, I, my joke here is I think I've said this is the last console generation for 15 years or so. Uh, and it always makes sense uh, from an economics and a, a technology standpoint to launch one. You know, I think it's a, it's a question we think about a lot. You know, one of the things that we go through when we're developing a new console is, does the technology make sense to launch something new? Does the market demand or want something new? So you think about the new ones we've launched uh, just this week, you know, ray tracing, RDNA, uh, you know, near instant load times. Those kind of things are all ushered in now with the silicon develop, the silicon that enables that to happen. So we think that it's the right time to launch based on the price points and based on the tech now. I think as you look forward a decade, Cloud streaming will become more mainstream. It'll become more about how users play. And this is why I love the, the connection we have to Azure, is our ability to go chase that opportunity, to go chase that market. As users shift from console first to, let's call it, we'll call it mobile first, but really what I mean is console unlocked first. Um, I think that's going to be a, um, a, more, a more active way that people play. Now, that being said, if there's an opportunity for, you know, another console to have local compute under a TV, and that's the best way to play on your 65-inch OLED at 120 frames a second, we will continue to look at that. And if that, if that is still the, the right and best way for high-value gamers to play or, you know, users that want to play with the, with the top fidelity, um, you know, we'll continue to look at that, of course. Um, but as I look at the, you know, the next decade, and this is more of a longer-term play, you know, I believe it's going to shift more into a, a cloud streaming world. You know, I look, when I look at latency now, it's, it's, uh, it's in a place where it makes games fun. You can play. And I'll make a little bit of a bridge point back to 5G. Uh, you know, 5G, the rollout here, allows, uh, I think, game streaming to hit two things, one of which is geographic expansion. When you think about going to an Africa, an India, Southeast Asia, uh, 5G allows that technology stream from the cloud to really be uh, exciting and a great user experience. Um, and number two is latency. You know, you can play games at a far faster clip. You can have much lower latency with 5G. And partners that we see in the mobile industry, uh, the mobile operator side, are looking for that differentiated experience. They're looking for the things they can upsell to their unlimited data plans or their 5G data plans. Some of the first calls we got, as I mentioned, were from, uh, you know, mobile operators in the world looking to partner with us on our game streaming tech with Project xCloud to deliver game streaming over their networks. They need that differentiation. You know, much like YouTube or Netflix ushered in kind of 4G and LTE, I think game streaming is going to usher in that 5G landscape. So I'm kind of bouncing your question a little bit, but I think the – the 5G ecosystem is going, uh, presuming success, which I do, 
uh, is going to usher in a world where, you know, the console market will not be as needed to, to play the games you want to play. Helpful. And then another question where we're getting from the line here is, you know, with the acquisition of Bethesda, is, is the plan to make certain Bethesda franchises, you know, like Fallout and Doom, exclusive to Xbox, or will you still support, you know, cross-platform play? Yeah, the goal here is, you know, we're, I'll say from a cross-platform perspective, uh, you know, Microsoft is a platform. We're one of the first to really support, uh, you know, Minecraft, Roblox, Fortnite, across platforms. So we, we highly encourage cross-platform play, simply from a landscape of, if it's good for the gaming ecosystem, it's good for us. You know, classic rising tide lifts all boats. What we'll do in the long run is, you know, we don't have the intentions of just pulling all of the, the content out of, you know, Sony or Nintendo or otherwise. Um, but what we want is we want the, the, that content in the long run to be, you know, either first or better or best or um, pick your differentiated experience on our platforms. Uh, we will want Bethesda content to show up the best uh, as on our platforms. Now, that's not a point about being exclusive. That's not a point about we're being, we're being you know, adjusting timing or content or roadmap. Um, but if you think about something like Game Pass, uh, if it shows up best in Game Pass, that's what we'll want to see, and we'll want to drive our Game Pass uh, subscriber base through that through that Bethesda pipeline. So again, I'm not announcing you know pulling content from platforms one way or the other, uh, but you know you I, I suspect you'll continue to see a shift towards a you know first or better or best approach on our platforms. That helps. That helps. And then you know one question we're we're getting a lot, and, and maybe you could just answer from from a high level. But folks are just curious how the economics work behind some of these partnerships, right? So, you know, a company like like EA that that gets put on on Game Pass, yeah. are they compensated based on on usage? Is it sort of a flat fee based on on subs? Um, maybe just from a high level, if you can touch on that a bit. Yeah, there's a couple of lenses on, the, on through this question which are interesting. I think the first is um, as as Xbox, we have. Uh, Revenue streams with these companies um, uh, across the board. So think about third-party store or advertising or Game Pass. Uh, we have ways to monetize our consumers in uh, broader ways than just through a Game Pass uh, relationship. So the deals will all be different uh, across our partners because you could say, and this isn't me talking about EA specifically. You know, come into Game Pass and you'll get a different. Um, you know, rev share or something on the digital transaction side, or come into Game Pass and we'll have a just a direct payment relationship, or come into Game Pass and you'll have the ability to go acquire new customers that you haven't seen before and drive post-sale monetization with those customers. So there's going to be unique difference differences between the partner that we're uh, that we're working with and what they want to see out of the relationship. Um, but we do have a you know, Game Pass does drive a brand new revenue stream. Um, our job as a platform is to create a world where uh, those revenue streams create uh, revenue sharing opportunities for our publishers, for our developers, and for us. Uh, and so, while I won't highlight, you know, EA or somebody specifically, um, you know, we do have a world where uh, we create revenue streams uh, as they're successful, we're successful, and vice versa. Uh, and we'll continue to go build out uh, higher revenue profiles that we can make sure we participate and share with our uh, publishing partners. And you have this, this financing option now for the first time, right? So, you know, kind of lowering the, the upfront cost to acquire um, one of these consoles. Is there any, you know, early observation by maybe the uptick you're seeing there? 
is this going to create a situation in which maybe the, the install base scales, you know, more quickly than, than previous cycles, just given the fact that it's, it's a bit more affordable? Yeah, I think it's uh, a great question. Um, so you think about what you're talking about is Xbox All Access. And so for the audience, that is the ability to, to buy a, a piece of hardware plus uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, so our subscription service, for uh, a monthly price. So $24.99 a month in the U.S. for Xbox Series S or $34.99 a month for Xbox Series X. And what I love about this is a couple things. Number one is it differentiates ourselves versus competition. So it's not something that PlayStation has in a very material way. Game Pass gives us the ability to provide a content bundle that can be paid off over time. And it's not a financing deal. It's more of a think about it like a hardware subscription. So I love, I love that perspective from a differentiation lens. I love the ability for a customer who may not have wanted to spend $500 or $300 or whatever the price point is um, to come in and join Xbox for a low monthly rate. So I think we're removing the barriers to entry. We're, we're taking some friction out of the ecosystem there. And lastly um, is distribution. You know, we're, we're seeing great uptake from uh, something like Telstra in, in Australia is a great example. Some of the, their world class, as many mobile operators are, about selling hardware plus service bundles. You know, the, clearly they do this with uh, mobile phones plus their plus their uh, subscription service, so their data plans. So we are going into a much broader footprint from a distribution landscape uh, with these audiences. And so someone that walks into a Telstra or a T-Mobile or Verizon or, you know, AT&T, they can now, you know, buy a sort of hardware plus services plan unlike anything they've seen before uh, versus that, that kind of big outlay up front. So excitement's there. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're seeing some uptake there, which is great. A little bit of a, a short-term lens of, you know, if there's someone looking to, you know, demand is, or supply is tight right now, demand is high. So you're going to get a lot of people just clicking buy, buy, buy. Uh, but I think in the long run, uh, this Xbox All Access Hardware Plus Services Bundle is going to be a great opportunity for us to go reach new customers and continue to differentiate versus uh, competition in this space. Another question we're getting is is for an update with um, the strategic partnership you signed with with Sony on the cloud. Maybe just what's what's the opportunity there? Yeah, I think, and I won't comment specifically about Sony, not to get on a, not to make the not to deflect the, the question. Um, but what I would say is Microsoft as a platform provider, that's our DNA. You know, if 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 Sony or I'll say Nintendo or EA or I'll pick pick anybody, frankly that doesn't have a first-party cloud sees the future of where the business is going. And I'll call it cloud streaming. You're going to have to have a cloud provider that uh, serves up to those customers. Uh, you know, again, Microsoft invested billions of dollars in the space to have an awesome, awesome Azure landscape and Azure Geo footprint. Uh, and if you're someone like uh, a partner without that, I think you're going to need a cloud to go reach those, those audiences, um, especially if you're you know, in this example, like a, like Sony, you're a hardware operator which doesn't have a cloud and the ability of where the markets or where the market's going. I think you're going to need a, a cloud provider to do that. So we, as a cloud provider, uh, would would happily take uh, you know publishers or developers or hardware ecosystems into the into the ecosystem into our ecosystem and serve to our customers. Um, clearly, Microsoft has heritage in the video game space, so we know what, what that partnership looks like. You know, Phil Spencer and Scott Guthrie have a great partnership uh, internally at Microsoft between the two, and uh, I think it's a good place to be when we can sell 
fault sell our, our cloud opportunities for uh, partners that may want to look for that opportunity as well. That's helpful. And we do have about five minutes left, so I'll, I'll try to get to the remaining questions I'm seeing. But one question is around, you know, the, the relevance of, of Game Pass as free-to-play rises in, in popularity, right? Mm -hmm. and, and obviously you make money through free-to-play games in other ways, but just curious, you know, does that impact the uptick or, or the take rate, so to speak, that um, that folks are, are willing to pay on the subscription side and just a balance between engagement and, and how that might impact, um, you know, the subscription model? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, one of the things that's up to us is to make it so Game Pass can coexist in, these wor in the world of free-to-play as well. And I would say, interestingly, free-to-play is more of a game, it's a game mechanic as well. You know, games are designed to be free-to-play from the beginning. Um, it's not like, generally speaking, you shouldn't, you know, take a game that's been designed for an upfront purchase of PSM and just turn it into free-to-play. The games that work the best are designed that way from the beginning. What I would say, though, is, you know, interestingly, you know, many players in Fortnite uh, or, or other free-to-play games are, uh, you know, Rocket League or Roblox, et cetera, many of them spend actually more dollars overall than they would have if they bought the game for 30 or 40 or 50 bucks uh, just because of the way they play. Um, and I think free-to-play is an interesting game mechanic. Um, you know, it's less, less about the, I'm just playing the game for free. It's just more about how they increase top of funnel. So it's up to us as a platform and, a, and the owners of Game Pass to create a reason where maybe we put a free-to-play game in Game Pass. Maybe you get a, maybe you get a certain amount of uh, in-game currency or you, you get a unique skin or a differentiated experience by being a Game Pass subscriber. So I think um, what you'll see from us is the sort of the, co the cohesiveness between a free-to-play world and a Game Pass world where actually I want to be a Game Pass subscriber and still play the free-to-play games because I get something that's unique or I get value or I get some uh, in-game currency or whatever. So I think that you'll see from us um, a world where they exist together, and I think you'll see uh, a net additive place um, across the platform. Maybe maybe one last question, but you know now that the consoles are out, how does your job change, or, or what priorities change? Where do you shift your focus um, over the next couple of years as you're sort of in the early stages of of the console refresh here? Yeah, you know, for us, it's it's all about growth. It's all about how do you go find new customers. Um, you know, I, I like to talk about Microsoft level relevance, and of course, we're relevant today. But it's the going from what is a console ecosystem to expanding into that billions of gamers around the world ecosystem. That's the growth opportunity that we see uh, at Xbox within Microsoft. And so, of course, we're going to play the win in console. Of course, we're going to drive that place. Of course, we're going to make it the best place to play for consumers and the best place to monetize for our publishers and partners. Um, but our job as Xbox and gaming at Microsoft is to look for those growth opportunities. How do you go sell Game Pass to 100 million players? How do you sell it into India and Africa? How do you sell it to mobile-first consumers? That's really how my job changes. Are we getting a content pipeline that can support that? Are we getting uh, an Azure footprint that can support that? Are we getting a go-to-market model, a strategy, uh, price points that can support that? So I think from us, that's what you should expect is as we grow to that non-console audience, how do you go chase that, those, those hundreds of millions of new gamers that, that we haven't seen in the past? Um, and that's what gets me most excited. That's what gets me out of bed each morning. That's what I love coming into work to do is, is growing the business and finding those consumers that we've never seen before. Um, and how do we partner with players in the industry to go do that? 
that's Microsoft's core DNA. That's how we win as a platform. Um, and I think that's really the, the, the sort of North Star that we're chasing. Very good. I think we'll, uh, we can wrap there. We, we want to thank Tim for, for joining. This has been super informative, and, and we appreciate it for, uh, for joining the dialogue. And, and thanks to everyone on the line for, for listening. Great. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, uh, Alex, for having me. This is, uh, this is great. I wish we were doing this in person, but uh, it's great to talk to your audience here today. Sounds good. Take care, everyone. Thanks.